0: Hello, listeners. Welcome back to Forgotten Events. I am your humbled host, Katie. Although this story isn't exactly geared towards our October spooky series, I thought you might like the mystery of it. It's an oldie, but it is a goodie. This is the story of millionaire... Ed Baker. Ed Baker was a wealthy millionaire. That is a fact. He made his fortune in oil in the great state of Texas. He founded Vanguard Groups International, one of the fastest growing businesses in the United States. And he did so alongside his second wife, Mary Walker. According to Mary, people easily trusted Ed and were always willing to invest in his company. He started promoting oil well exploration in 1980, and later, when the business took on success, Ed developed that thing we like to call a midlife crisis. In March of 1984, after 10 years of marriage, he divorced his wife, Mary, and spent his time gambling. He had two facelifts done. He bought expensive cars. You know, some of the things that go along with a midlife crisis. In September of 1984, Ed remarried again to Karen Walbridge, but he would divorce once again 11 months later, then remarry again two months after that, this time to Sandra Hoff, one of his employees. Soon, the business started crumbling and he started spending investors' money to support this extravagant lifestyle he built. This is always the outcome to these situations. His attorney, Ward Busey warned him that he could end up in jail. It didn't seem to have much of an effect on Ed because in October of 1985, the Vanguard's investigators were demanding money from Ed. Unfortunately, the company was facing bankruptcy big-time. Ed would allegedly arrange a cash bailout. Rumor was the source of that bailout was found to be suspicious. Ed asked his private investigator, Bob Gale, to run a background check on the source. However, it was after Ed borrowed the money. In the end, the source appeared to have Mafia connections, not good for Ed because he never paid them back. Over time, Ed seemed unable to reverse his downward spiral that he found himself in. Around 7.30 p.m. on November 6, he showed up at his ex-wife Mary's home in a state of emotional chaos. He hinted to Mary that he believed someone was after him. He claimed that he had been receiving death threat letters at work. He also claimed that he had received two calls at his unlisted home phone number with the caller stating, quote, this is your day to die, end quote. Mary urged Ed to contact the police, but he claimed they just wouldn't be able to help him. I mean, one can only assume that Ed knew he was in bed with the wrong people. Therefore, he did not want the police involved. Also, the truth would be exposed about embezzlement accusations. Later, Ed left Mary's house and went to his home. Ed sent his wife Sandra to Austin as a precaution and then took refuge in his home. Ed spoke to Sandra by phone at 1 a.m. that following morning, just hours later. He indicated to Sandra that he had received another life-threatening phone call at the house on the unlisted number. Ironically, two days later on November 8th, Ed's Jaguar was found burning 20 miles outside of Houston with a charred body still in the car. Immediately, my mystery mind goes to that old idea of burning a body so that people believe it's you, and then you disappear. The body was so disfigured that authorities could not tell who it was. Forensic analysis confirmed with near certainty that it was Ed. Three one-gallon cans were found in and around his car. A burnt 32 caliber revolver was found on the floor of the car. There was an indentation in the firing pin, which told authorities that one shot had been fired. The other five shells, casings, clearly exploded from the heat. In just a few hundred feet from the car, investigators were surprised to find what? A second body. A young man in his early 20s had been handcuffed and beaten to death. However, it was later determined that he had been killed in a drug deal completely unrelated to Ed's death. His wife, Sandra, believes that Ed was the victim of a mafia hit. Supposedly, an eyewitness reported seeing an unidentified blue Chevy pickup truck fleeing the scene of the fire. However, the police believed that Ed's death was nothing more than a suicide. See, they had discovered that shortly before Ed's death, he had contacted his life insurance agents. He was specifically looking to find out if his policies would pay in the event of a suicide. One policy valued at a half a million dollars clearly would not. That same day, a letter arrived at Ed's attorney's office, Oh, and it read, quote, Dear Ward, if you are reading this letter, it means that I am dead. I've had some threats on my life. You've been a good friend to me. Take care of Sandy and the kids, end quote. Enclosed was another letter that Ed wanted Ward to send to Sandra and his children. Now, I guess my question is, why did the letter arrive so conveniently at Ed's attorney's office the day they found him? Yes, it could be that Ed was suspicious that someone was about to kill him, but it seems too planned for this podcaster's mystery mind. Investigators believe that Ed had shot himself in his car and had an accomplice set fire to it in order to make it look like a homicide. Sandra, however, could not and would not believe that his death was a suicide. No way. She hired an independent private investigator who agreed with her and believed that someone was hired to kill Ed. But Ed's attorney, Ward Boosie, disagrees. He believes that based on the letter he received, Ed planned on killing himself. He believes that he committed suicide that he would not have to face jail time. However, an arson investigator does not believe that Ed would have been able to set fire to his car all by himself and then be able to commit his own suicide. In my mind, that's actually not an impossible task. I mean, he sets the car on fire, sits in the seat, then pulls the trigger. I mean, right now, my mind's all over this case. (laughs) Ed's investigator, Bob Gale, had reasons to believe the man in the car was not Ed, but someone else, and that Ed had faked his death in order to simply disappear. He believes that Ed fled to an unknown location, maybe the Caribbean, to live on funds embezzled from those investors. To this day, no one has been able to determine what exactly happened the night Ed died. But I have questions. Is it possible that the mafia source, and I'm totally doing air quotes here with mafia, were they responsible for Ed's death? Sandra claimed that Miami mobsters had killed him because he had owed them over $1 million, the money that he didn't pay back. And remember that eyewitness that reported seeing that blue Chevy pickup speeding away from the scene of the fire? Well, the truck, nor the occupants, have ever been identified. Also, we do have something called DNA labs today, and I wonder why the remains have not been tested. Ed did have children. The DNA could be tested against them, just saying. Since 1992, when Ed's story was part of the show Unsolved Mysteries, nearly all of the witnesses have died. Ed's ex-wife of 20 years was killed in an automobile accident. Ward Boosie, Ed's attorney, passed away in 2000 at the age of 51. My guess is that no one will ever figure this mystery out. Unfortunately, it will remain unsolved. Thank you for joining us for this forgotten events mystery. We look forward to bringing you more stories. Remember, you can email us at ForgottenEventsPodcast at gmail.com with any suggestions or comments. Enjoy your day.